Welcome, Whovians. This is Woke Doctor Who. This podcast is about race and representation in Doctor Who. If that's not where you're here, bye. But if you are here for passionate discussions about race, gender, sexual orientation, etc., then allons-y. If your kids are any younger than kind of teenaged, this is probably not the place for them. We're not promising to be tame in the future, you guys. Okay, so this is at least a PG-13 podcast. (laughs) At least. everyone i'm eugenia and i'm toya and welcome to woke doctor who welcome everybody and hi to all of our new listeners hello we're so happy to have you here hi to everybody who's coming back welcome back so today we are going to start off with a bit of a trigger warning um today's topic is domestic violence so Following, there will be some discussion of both sexual and physical abuse. We want to let you know in the beginning and give you a heads up. And let's start the show. Okay. (laughs) So, um, you know, domestic violence is something. And so the way we're defining domestic violence is both um, child abuse and um, uh, sexual assault and sexual abuse, sexual violence. Um, so it's, it's a little shocking that within this, um, family show that we've seen so many instances of, um, domestic violence and abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of shocking when you start to think back, like, you know, things that you just sort of glanced at and were like, oh, okay, it's part of the plot. And then thought about later and went, oh, oh no, that, Someone actually got hurt there and someone got very deeply scarred there. That's not okay. Um, And it's interesting when you think back to the history of this show. And I think a lot has been made of um, Colin Baker when he first regenerated into Mm – from from Peter Davison to Colin Baker, um, he went underwent some sort of crisis and ended up strangling the companion Perry, and it was a really shocking scene to watch. Like I remember, like the first time I saw it, and just sort of being like, "Oh, is this is this this kind of show? Right. <laughs> what am I watching?" You know, and so especially for both of us, like you know, we like I love the the hard hitting. British police drama detective show kind of things where terrible things are always happening to women and children. But, you know, those you you sort of have the assumption that that's going to happen in those shows. And then when you watch things like there was literally a law and order season or series about, you know, this sort of thing with uh, what was it? SVU. Special. Yeah. Yeah. So. To see these images and to hear, to, to follow along with these storylines without necessarily being like signing up for it, you know, is kind of shocking. Right. Especially when we think of this as a children's show, supposedly, um, that there would be so many instances of violence, both physical and sexual to children and to adults, um, I expect the doctor to be condescending. I don't usually expect the doctor to be aggressive or violent. And I don't necessarily um, expect 
there to be many instances of violence of that sort uh, towards people. But then I think about the fact that if this is a children's show, if we really think about things like fairy tales, fairy tales, when you they aren't in the Disney version, are horribly aggressive and violent um, in many ways. And fairy tales seem to be all about the things in the world that are dangerous and scary to children. And then there's always the hero who comes in and gallops to the rescue and saves them. And so I think if we think of Doctor Who as a fairy tale, it kind of all fits together, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. But it still sort of goes back to whether it's a good or bad thing, Mm -hmm. you know, in the long run for Mm -hmm. psychological development. Yeah, yeah. You know, adults. (laughs) Yeah, is it? And and I think maybe this is one of those instances, who knows, I'm not a psychologist, but (laughs) maybe this is one of those instances where it's kind of okay in a controlled environment right so for the kid this is scary but the doctor will come you know the doctor will fix it Um, and it's one of those instances where you feel like there might be danger but there's always going to be somebody who steps in and makes things right which does not necessarily happen in real life and that makes it more of a safe environment to explore those kinds of things maybe right it's like a roller coaster you know exactly that that has been inspected and thoroughly tested (laughs) um but yeah so i mean it could occupy that space but when you start thinking about the the people that are actually going through this yes. you know like we we often talk about the marginalized in many times situations that we're you know the situation is that we are you know two marginalized people among right. other people who are all also mar- marginalized and talking about things that affected us in mm. the show that didn't affect other people right and so it's it's interesting to think about this, especially in terms of like, you know, our own personal experiences, like, especially right now, seeing what's going on, um, all over the, the media with, um, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can remember his name for a second. Yep. And, and all of this, uh, the sexual assault and rape allegations directed at him, yes. yeah. which seem to be very well founded. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to see how many women, and of course, there's, there's definitely debate as to where this, uh, Me Too yes. thing started. Um, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> fists up to, I, pr- I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, sis, Tarana Burke. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's up to her who's been doing this for a decade yes. of this work. Um, yeah. But seeing it now spread throughout social media and it, in, Alyssa uh, Milano is the person who kind of spread that kind of kicked it off throughout social media. But and that's just that's a topic for another time mm-hmm. where we talk about um, how a black woman can say it, but it doesn't take off <laughs> till a white woman <laughs> says something about it. That's a t- that's a topic for another yeah. show. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> but yes, yeah, seeing the the flooding of me too posts on Twitter and Facebook um, and everywhere else and social media. I I've said to other people, I don't think there's any of us who couldn't say me yep. too. Um, if, if we're t- talking about it on a spectrum from street harassment all the way up to rape and murder, mm-hmm. there isn't any of us who couldn't say right. me too about something. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to bring it back to um, the today's topic to think about how many people could say me too about 
being abused as a child yes, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how many children out there? Because even when you read the stories, a lot of these stories start with childhood. children. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think it was a couple of years ago that, uh, Steen Fox on Twitter did a whole running thread, which I participated in, um, where she talked about what were you wearing and oh, how yeah. old were you? I remember that. Um, and people were talking about, having experienced sexual assault and the things they were wearing. And you see, I think I remember one where the little girl said something like the, the lady said she was a little girl and it said something like I was wearing footy pajamas. Like, so it's how early that starts in mm-hmm. our life and how prevalent it is yeah. um, in society that sexual assault is just, it's so overwhelmingly common um, that I think we become numb to it. Yeah. Um, because it just seems to happen to so many of us. Uh, and right. so, yeah, the Me Too campaign, I saw that it was triggering for a lot of people, of course. Um, and there are so many of us who did not say Me Too, but that doesn't mean that people had not been affected and were right. not included. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it is one of those things that we think that we won't encounter in our escapist fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know that we can ever get to the point where we don't address the things that are actually happening in right. the world, even in the places where we want an escape. And maybe the escape is just that in this world, somebody comes to our rescue. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. That right. Is, that's a nice sentiment. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are going to move into our first segment um, yes. called Don't Blink. <laughs> okay. So um, when I think about this, you know, much of what we see, like we always make the point that, um, you know, this this segment, what we do with this segment is um, we don't get to spend a lot of time with people that are not the doctor and the main companion. Mm-hmm. Companions. Companions. (laughs) Um, and so this is, uh, this segment is for us to sort of dive in deeper to things that we see in the show that, um, you're supposed to sort of get in a snapshot and get right away, um, but are often really rife with stereotype. Yes. And so we want to talk here about the episode, The Lodger. So The Lodger is the first episode where we see James Corden as guest star, uh, and James Corden plays Craig. And that is why the first time I ever saw James Corden outside of Doctor Who, when he was announcing that he was having a late night show, I'm thinking, why in the world would Craig be a late night talk show host? Never considering the fact that James Corden had an entire career that had nothing to do with Doctor Who. Um, so in this episode... Craig, we want to bring you up to speed in case you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it for a, <laughs> in a minute, while. right? So in this episode, Craig lives in, I guess, uh, what I would call in Baltimore a row house, but a townhouse for some other folks, a brownstone, whatever, right? Yeah, there's another word for it. What's it? It's a multi-level, multi-family house. Oh God, I can't remember what this word is. A duplex. A duplex. duplex. You know what's sad is like my brain is just not working right now. And I thought duodenum. No. <laughs> Not at all. Wrong. A very good D word, though, but no. Um, So Craig lives downstairs in this home, and there's an apartment upstairs. 
And there's a thing. There's an entity upstairs. And the doctor moves in with Craig. And he's the one who's being referred to as the lodger here. Craig well, was supposed to put out an ad that he never actually put out. But somehow the doctor shows up with a bag full of money saying, have some rent, which is hysterical. Um, he just throws up, shows up with 3,000 pounds in a, a brown paper bag and moves in with Craig. So the entity that is upstairs is luring in people off the street. And the second person who you see lured in off the street is a woman of color. And when you see her, it's nighttime and she comes kind of stumbling into view. The woman is limping. Her clothes are skew. So some of them are kind of half hanging off of her. She's crying. So she kind of has like makeup, mascara and so forth running down her face and she's alone and she's lured into the house by a male voice asking her to come help and she goes upstairs into the apartment there are noises obviously something violent happens to her and that's the last you hear from her yep so this scene or this this character um the first time i saw her instantly i went she's been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. and it was instant to me like there was no question and so it was very it was very odd because, um, you know, sexual assault comes with uh, emotional valence, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so when you looked at the other characters that had been lured into this house, I think there were four, three or four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the other characters had any sort of emotional valence at- attached to why they were lured into the house. And so the whole point of this, um, this, this creature that was luring them into the house is that it was looking for someone that wanted to escape. And so you as a viewer got a chance with the other people that had been uh, the other victims um, to think, okay, well, what, what would they have been trying to escape from? Like maybe they're bored with their life Mm -hmm. or maybe they're just generally unhappy. Like what is like you got to sort of make that up for yourself. But with this girl, I wasn't able to do that because immediately I went, Oh my God, she's been sexually assaulted. Right. And that's why she wants to get away. However, the, so that, that, is already sort of like shocking to see, you know, one out of four is suddenly something that comes with an emotional like timber around it. Timber, however you pronounce timber. it. Yeah. Um, but, um, to see also this concept of, okay, someone wants to escape and think about actual sexual assault survivors. Typically they don't want to escape. They just want that to have not happened. Right. You know, they want to go back to their lives as they have been already like without this having happened because so many sexual assault survivors you know it comes with so much guilt and it Mm -hmm. comes with so much self-blame and shame and so very many of them like i don't most of them just don't they don't want to go anywhere they just want that they just yeah exactly they just want to have deleted that part out from their lives right and so to have that assumption being made already oh this girl has been sexually assaulted so she wants to escape no I, I, I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I just, dis- I absolutely disagree that, that we should make that assumption. In yeah. Any because case. how do we know that she didn't have a whole life that she right. was very happy with? Um, and the first thing I thought actually when I saw it was date rape. Right. Like that's here. exactly what I thought. It looked to me like she was probably wearing an outfit that one would wear on a date mm-hmm. and something has gone horribly wrong on that date. Um, 
And all I think to myself is this woman of color disappears. Who comes looking for her? Um, who cares about her? Why hasn't the doctor come to her rescue before right. all of this happens? Um, and so, yeah, I've, the rest of that episode is kind of left with that thing in the back of my mind. Like, what happened to her? Because mm-hmm. the other people do not look as if they've been visibly assaulted. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of going about their lives and they get pulled in. This woman has been harmed before this even it, this even happens. So this is just compounded harm. And I've always asked myself, what happened to that woman mm-hmm. before she comes into the picture? And it just, it's never brought up again. Right. You know? And it's frustrating because clearly we're seeing someone in an absolute vulnerable state. Yeah. And the other, the other people that, um, are kidnapped, killed, whatever, mm-hmm. um, I don't feel that vulnerability coming out of them. And to to see that and then see in the end of the episode that the doctor semi helps the, the, the being, the being, Mm -hmm. the creature, um, at least leave in some capacity or Mm -hmm. disappear. I forget, um, to think about that and think, well, no, he was at this creature, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he or she, whatever it was, it, um, you know, it, preyed on it her. Preyed on her. Yeah. It preyed on her completely. You know, it took someone who was completely vulnerable and it forced her, well, it killed her, yes. you know, and that's horrifying, you know, like when you actually think about the, the story beats of this episode, it's not something that, that, you know, sits well with me yeah. even today. Yeah. Like even when I go back and watch it, which I love that episode because the, you know, the doctor and James Corden are just fantastic together. Yes. And it's a yeah. great, like, like hilarious episode, but like, I can't, I can't not think about that, yeah. that woman and how, why it was that they thought it was okay to write her that way. She literally could have yeah. just been carrying a book bag or something yes. and not have any sort of like emotional valence attached to where she was at that moment. And I wouldn't think of anything of it, but somehow they had to give the because one. Because that's what's happened with the others. Right. Yeah. And so like, why, why her? Like, why make her appearance on the show different than the others? Yeah. Um, and who knows? Like, you know, it's, I guess it's Hollywood. And so maybe however, if your first appearance on screen, you're crying, it gives you better, um, who knows? Better ability to get hired. I don't know. But when it comes down to it as a viewer, it, it's just not something that sits well with me. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So let's move to our next segment. And it's all about family and family relationships. And this one is called, Are You My Mommy? All right. So let's start with the episode. Oh, let's see. In Tenant's, in Tenet's, uh, run as the doctor, my favorite run, um, we'll talk about the Fear Her episode. So in the Fear Her episode, um, the doctor and Rose come upon London 2012. So it's the time of the Olympics. I still think that there is a missed opportunity for there to be a Tenant and Matt Smith crossover episode with London 2012. But, you know, that's that neither here awesome. nor there. But it's London 2012 and people are gathering for the Olympics and the doctor and Rose come upon this neighborhood where kids are going missing rapidly. 
it's one second they're there, the next second they're absolutely gone. So you don't see kids wandering off. They just go out of existence. They disappear. And there's this looming figure of a little girl in a window that they keep kind of showing. And it's a little black girl. And she's in the window with her hand kind of pressed up against the window. And she's made to look very menacing, very dangerous, very scary. Her name is Chloe. She lives in her home. Chloe (laughs) Webber. She lives in a house with her mom. And clearly her mother knows something's going on. Her mother is also afraid of her. That's clear. Um, And what you see is that Chloe is scribbling pictures of the children on the street. And as she does this, the children blink out of existence. They just disappear. Um, So you find out later on in the episode that Chloe has been abused by her father. And Chloe and her mother say that her father died a year prior to this episode. Um, but he, there's a figure of him, a picture of him in her closet that is menacing her. And we find that the alien being in this episode has come into Chloe's body because Chloe Weber herself feels very alone. And this alien being feels very alone and empathizes with this little girl and comes to be with her so they can be friends. And the, the alien being repeats over and over through the episode. I love Chloe Weber. You know, I want Chloe Weber. I love her. Um, and so this episode is both one that I love and one that bothers me very much. I love it because I love that this being could feel her through space. Um, and empathized with this child and wanted to be with her and loved her immediately took her kind of as a sister because the doctor talks about how these beings fly through the through space with their families millions of them at a time um, and the being feels so alone and takes chloe as a family member and attaches to her and loves her um what bothers me aside from the fact that we're putting a little black girl as the big bad of an episode which irritates the hell out of me but also that chloe is not actually dangerous Mm -hmm. chloe is sad and she's lonely and those kids that she's disappearing off the streets she's doing it because she wants to have company she wants to have a family for herself and for this being they just don't want to feel alone um and to make a little girl's sadness and pain analogous to danger um, bothers the hell out of me. And I think rightfully so. Um, I think it's interesting to see how the abuse that Chloe has suffered, she has translated into art, mm-hmm. right? So these are all drawings that she has. She's pasted up on the walls um, in her room. And I find that very poignant that you would channel your sadness, your hurt, your depression into your art, um, but I think the whole episode is basically the visual representation of hurt people, hurt people. Right. Which is basically, she's doing all of this unwilling violence, unwitting is probably unwitting. a better word, yeah. unwitting violence yeah. born out of sadness and loneliness. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of a few, um, 
like tropes, I guess, or mm. pr- repeating storylines that we see in in Doctor Who, where um, a abused or otherwise isolated only child acts out and, in a sense, attacks people. Yes, and that's um, that's kind of disturbing, you know, because when it comes down to it, like these are not people that don't exist in the real world, right. you know, like these there are only children that are abused. And um, when it comes down to it, like for them, you know, no doubt they would have seen this show or if they're, if they're, you know, if they're Doctor Who fans, right. they could be watching the show and go, okay, what, what are you trying to say about <laughs> right. me? You know? Yeah. Um, but it's sort of interesting to think about uh, the, the type of abuse that she would have like what it was that got her to be lonely like mm-hmm. how did she get there mm-hmm. um because you know the father um was clearly uh someone that they have escaped mm-hmm. um since he died right um the the what was it the year before, the year before. um yeah. and so why like you know and there's a lot in here about coping and recovery from mm-hmm. trauma and, and PTSD, but, um, you know, what happened to her that made her so isolated? I was saying to Eugenia earlier as we were preparing to record that the impression I got from it was that the father had sexually abused Chloe. Um, and they talk about him dying a year earlier. And I said to Eugenia, did they kill him? <laughs> like, and, and she's, and she did say that a lot of times when we watch these kinds of things on television, right? It ends with the getting away yeah. from the abuser. Um, I'm thinking about lifetime movies yeah. where they find like, a, um, I just watched that movie, uh, enough. Enough. Yes. yes. Where they kill the yeah. abuser <laughs> yeah. in the end. And this feels like, what if you did kill your abuser, right. but the abuser isn't gone? Right. You know, yeah. and what is the aftermath after the abuse has stopped? How do you then process and deal with it emotionally? And so Chloe has PTSD and it's something about that continuing pain and loneliness in her heart that has called this being out of space to be with her. Um and that could be such a beautiful thing. Yeah. It could be something beautiful to say. And yet in, in, yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah. Inserting the father in there and having him still be the specter over her. Yes. It makes, it changes the tone because, yes. you know, this, what was the, the little creature called? I forget. It was really pretty. Yeah, it was. It, was it, like it looks like a little dandelion fluff. Oh, yeah, a little yeah. dandelion fluff. Um, but it, it was sad from loss. Yes. It was isolated from loss. Yes. Do we think Chloe is sad and isolated from loss? No, not to me. Right. You know, she's isolated and sad because she's been abused. She's right. an abused child. Right. And yeah. so it's weird to sort of, cause you know, this is something that, that I, I, I don't know. I think that even kids would be able to separate like, oh, she's sad her, her dad died mm-hmm. or, she's sad because her dad was terrible to her. Yes. You know, like I think even kids would would be able to connect that these two are different things. Right. And it's weird because in the episode, it's clear that these things, the disappearing of the kids is a recent thing, mm-hmm. right? And so the alien has only been with her for a while. I don't think the alien has been with her for an entire year. And the mom talks about this isn't, her normal right she is a good student she sings on a choir she's a great kid and she was all of those things while the abuse was happening right so the dad is dead now 
and the alien has come and is now she's the host body for mm-hmm. this being and now all of a sudden you know she's acting out in ways that cause harm to other people yeah and it's it's upsetting to me because given that so given that she's someone who is chloe herself is someone mm-hmm. who is suffering yes. and who is um uh coping after you know after traumatic events and has ptsd and you have this creature that comes in for essentially their own purposes yes. it almost feels like she's just swapped out an abuser yes exactly and that's so upsetting because you know we we end up seeing this creature like being successfully able to leave, you know, through the, uh, what was it? Through the, 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 the heat from the, the Olympic heat from torch. The Olympic torch, right. Mm-hmm. And like we're, a, we see this creature, we're supposed to see this creature in a little bit more, um, positive light. Yeah, we're supposed to be sympathetic. We are. Mm-hmm. We, we see them in a sympathetic light. But when you think about it, this was actually like, someone that was again preying on on someone else's trauma yeah she's Um, been invaded she didn't welcome the alien in from what we can tell and it's so it's so sad because you don't really need to go far to like you don't need to scratch very far below the surface to sort of say hey wait a second this doesn't seem as as happy and positive as as you make it seem yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's a codependent codependent relationship yeah really yeah it really is and what bothered the heck out of me is that now that the alien is gone right supposedly all of the awfulness should stop right Right. because the reason why she is snatching those children off the street is to serve as family for the alien that should be the end of it but it isn't the end of it now all of a sudden there's her dead dad looming still in the house yeah and it's still coming to get her and her mother has to you know kind of stand with her and they sing together or whatever to Mm -hmm. fight off the the looming figure of her dad and that pissed me all the way off because i'm like okay wait a minute the the violent thing here is supposed to have been the alien being right now there's the black man is still the looming violence <laughs> yeah. behind the episode, right? right? And so it's almost as if none of this wouldn't have happened, would have happened if that awful black man hadn't started this whole chain of right, events. Right. And he still exists, even though he's dead, he right. still exists as the monster right. in the episode. Yeah. How is that possible? Right. And like, wasn't the implication that this little creature was actually keeping that monster at bay? Mm. But the, he wouldn't have been drawn in the right. closet and right. personified. Like, if not for if the not for thing. the, It's weird. It's, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it could just be bad writing. <laughs> it could just, it could be bad but, writing, yeah. But yeah, the, it's, I don't understand that ending either. And yeah. I, I remember that and being like, what, uh, why? Yeah. Why is he still there after the creature's gone? I feel very much like, I, what is this? Was it Martin Lawrence and Boomerang where he's like, it's racial. It's racial. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't see me, but I'm doing the hand thing that he does. Like, go look up clips of Boomerang and you will see him, like, doing the hand thing. It's racial. It's racial. Like, that's how, 
that's how it feels that somehow <laughs> even though the the little alien d- dandelion fluff was supposed to be the violent thing in the episode the looming specter of the black man still turns out to be the big bad well and it's weird because that same episode carries another very racially charged moment indeed with um i i always call him unnamed black man in love actually yes this collins ha- friend collins he probably friend. does have a name i just don't know what it is yeah because they the plot never made it important yes so yes. that's why but anyway so but he's, he's the one who tells colin yes. he's not good looking yes <laughs> which is very important because that dude deserves to be set down a peg <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's there working for the council, which I yes. love. The council. <laughs> you are using my council axe That's out right. of my council, council truck. truck. <laughs> and I'm going to tell the council. I'm going to tell the council. Um, but, you know, very early in this episode, when, when these kids start disappearing, one of the parents, one of the white parents, mm-hmm. ends up trying to finger him for the kids disappearing. That's right. Saying, it was you. Didn't say you both because he was literally standing next to his coworker mm-hmm. who was white um and so but said you directed at the one black man in the entire episode that's right that's (laughs) right what so it's it's weird like we've mentioned before how you know in uh in writing and in creativity all this kind of stuff um you reveal certain things about your yourself Mm -hmm. you know and i i i think that having both this looming specter of a black man that that persists way after right. the threat's supposed to be gone and earlier in the episode setting the tone with a very racially charged um accusation yes like i i i want to know what the writer <laughs> thinks they about think. black people yeah and particularly black men right um yes and and it's pretty clear that this that chloe's father is a black man even though you've never seen him like the little girl who the actress who plays Chloe is clearly not a biracial kid. Mm-mm. Um, and she's actually several shades darker than the woman who yes. plays her mother. And so you have this image in your head, particularly when they show you the image in the closet. I think he actually has locks. He does. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, he, but there's this image of a dark skinned man, maybe with locks who is kind of looming as mm-hmm. a specter in the background of the entire uh episode yeah yeah it's not so okay. yeah watch that episode again yeah, to see if you're seriously. not doing the it's racial thing it's with me, racial right <laughs> so there's other family members that kind of run into the domestic violence topic as well so let's talk about uh the idiot's lantern oh, episode yeah. i've forgotten about this so one. this is the episode with queen elizabeth ii's coronation yes and the doctor and rose uh show up thinking they're going to see Elvis <laughs> and they think they're going to New York and Rose is kind of like this is a very Londony looking New York um and so you know come for the cute costumes stay for all of the top all of the talk about domestic violence mm-hmm. through this episode because what we see is that there is a family with a dad a mom a grandma and a son uh and they get a new television set so that they can watch the coronation ceremonies and the grandmother is one of the people who winds up without a face uh, because it has been sucked off and her essence has been sucked out by the thing that kind of lives in the wires 
and it's actually called the wire i do believe is it oh yeah, yeah. i just remember the are you seated or what is yeah, it are you comfortable yes Let's begin yes <laughs> i think the entity is called uh the wire and so in this family the dad the husband is mr Connolly. I believe, and I know it begins with a C, it's either Connolly or Conway, something mm, like that. Mm-hmm. But he is horribly abusive to the wife and son. Now, we don't see him beating them up, but there are lots of, like, threats of it. There are a lot of references towards it um, throughout the episode. And it begins, ve- it begins quite early in the episode where the grand before her face gets sucked off refers to him as their lord and master mm-hmm. when he comes home um, from work so it's already setting the scene that this is a guy who is horribly controlling uh, over the household and then you see a scene where they've now gotten the new television set and the dad is super excited about it and everything the mother and the son are clearly traumatized looking and he says to the wife smile you should be smiling you know look what i've gotten you meanwhile her mother is upstairs without a face and she can't eat and they don't know what the hell is going on yeah and this episode i think i'm my i i vaguely remember the grandmother sort of being the son's sort of best friend yeah was it something along those lines well, i'm trying to remember well we see that he they must have some kind of a relationship yeah. because at some point the son is the one who goes upstairs and, and tries to engage right. with the grandmother um and the father kind of yanks him away from there um so yeah it it is there's some kind of subtext that maybe they have a very close relationship and that right. she kind of is acts as a buffer between yep. him and the aggressiveness of yeah, the dad. Yeah, because I had always assumed that she was the the dad's mother. Yeah, but in the episode it's she's the wife's mother. Oh, she is the wife's mother. Yeah, okay. the wife puts him out and says this is my mother's house. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, now I remember. Yeah. And, yeah. and at one point she says something like there was a monster in my house but it wasn't my mother. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's very interesting because um this was this took place the Queen's coronation would have been in the 50s, it was right? 53? 53. Yeah. Okay, cuz it was the current Queen's yes. coronation. Yes. So, um this was a time that was very filled with domestic violence Mm -hmm. and so um you it's it's you know again we we could have almost put this in don't blink because it's a very very much a marker of that era Mm -hmm. that you know men were abusive to their wives and kids yes and there's lots of we don't see actual punches or slaps or whatever but we know it's happening Mm -hmm. like there are things throughout where you're like oh okay this this is an abusive situation he says something to the son um where he says don't think I'm finished with you. Oh, yes. Yet, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is clearly a threat of physical violence mm-hmm. later on. Um, there's all kinds of emotional and mental violence when he says things uh, uh, to the son, like, and don't think I'm letting you go to college. You're going to come and work with me. I'm going to make a man out of you. Mm-hmm. And sidebar, the son reads to me as gay. Uh huh. Yeah. Me because too. he does lots of references to him as being soft. Mm-hmm. I don't think he literally calls him a pansy, but mm-hmm. there are things like that. Yeah. Where, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make a man out of you, that kind of thing, where yeah. he's, he's hinting that the kid is feminine. <laughs> right. Um, he's, he's the generation that built toxic, toxic masculinity. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Like this is, you know, one, uh, a lot of us as adults grew mm. up with parents from that era. Yes. And so it's very much like, 
this is where it came this from. This is where it starts, this you guys. This is where it starts. Um, yeah, and it's very interesting because I'd completely forgotten about their last name, Connolly, mm-hmm. because this was a very big um, sort of I guess they called it a racist joke back then, um, especially among the English, that they were always insinuating that the Irish beat their wives yes, yes. and beat their kids. And mm-hmm. so when you have someone with an Irish last name of Connolly, mm-hmm. um, kind of, sort of, even Americans, so that's even Americans like me, yeah, yep. this stereotype sort of pops into my mind of like the Irish father that beats that his beats family. Yep. Um, yeah. And so it's very strange to to think about because – you know, this, this episode seems to be very, um, I feel like I've seen that kind of episode in every show I've ever seen mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. um, time travel yes. in that they go back to the fifties and it's the era that watched the Donna Reed and the mm-hmm. leave it to beaver and like got into TV. And it was also the era that was so filled with like child abuse and domestic violence you know and it's just very interesting to sort of think of it um in context with the rest of the show like i don't i'm i'm sort of um i don't know like i don't know if i want to take it like i don't know if watching it that i took it seriously at all for that reason, mm. because it seemed to come so much out of that time. Yeah. And that's not good. No, <laughs> but it, very it's, not it good. is. It's one of those things you expect. Right. That, right. you know, that this is how households were. Right. And of course, we know that not every household was like that. You know, there's no way in the world that every household, the man was abusive and the woman and children were cowering mm-hmm. in the corner. Um, that's not necessarily what was going on, but it does. It always seems to be part and parcel of anything that comes out of that era that we expect that there was a controlling and maybe a violent husband Mm -hmm. and there were a wife and children who cowered in fear before him. Right. Yeah. Um, And so we see stuff like his wife flinching when Mm -hmm. he screams, which reads to me as he slapped her before Mm -hmm. uh, when he gets angry. We see him telling her to behave herself and smile when uh, the family comes over to watch the coronation after the grandmother has been taken. And in fact, during that same kind of scene, um, he called his son a mama's boy because he was talking about his grandmother and the husband's, I assume this is his sister. She says something like, you should beat it out of him. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's exactly what I intend to do. Mm. You know, so that's another that's another kind of veiled reference right. for me. The fact that the little boy, the kid is seen as a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's definitely yeah, coded language. That's coded language. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to beat that mm-hmm. out of him. Mm-hmm. So we're going to beat the girliness mm-hmm. out of him. Early conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. 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 And, and somehow higher education is associated with that because right. it's I'm not going to let you go to college. Yeah. I'm going to beat that out of you mm-hmm. and then I'm going to make you go to work with me. I'm going to make a real man out of you. Yeah. So there's the, you know, the image of the kind of feminine, you know, college student. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the idea of college education has feminized you, wow. which is hysterical given how women were actively being kept from opportunities mm-hmm. to seek higher education, but mm-hmm. somehow that makes you feminine. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Is like it? to think about, to, to see this episode and to think about like, 
where we are as a society at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really think those people still exist. You oh, know? they absolutely and still it's, exist. And it's so funny because it's so easy for us to just sort of stick them over in that time capsule of like, oh, that was the 50s, you know, yep. but or the early 60s, whichever it is. Yeah, it was, but, like it was 53. Yeah. But yeah, but they yeah absolutely right, yeah. still exist. Those yeah. people are not, they're not all dead. Yeah. And their children are definitely <laughs> not, right? Right. Because their children are like our parents. Right. 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 Um, and actually some of them might be our parents. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, the point is that those baby boomers and yep. stuff, they're still here. Right. And influencing society yep. heavily as we see. Mm-hmm. And even at one point, the kid says to him something that I see being said a lot lately. Um, he says, you fought against fascism. Remember, like you fought so that people like me could be people like me, right. that I'd be able to say what I want and do what I want and live as I want. And yet here you are being awful. And I see us doing the same thing. We're having lots of those discussions lately, particularly around white supremacy mm-hmm. and Nazism. So mm-hmm. we're having all of these you know, clearly white supremacist people out there raging on. In fact, uh, I think it was Richard Spencer who Ugh. just did another talk in Florida or whatever. And I actually saw somebody say something like, uh, this isn't a debate. We've had the debate about right. Nazism. Remember we yeah. did that during World War II. <laughs> and so it's the same thing. Right. So this is supposed to be 1953 and yeah. somebody's saying we've already had this debate mm-hmm. and the fascists are supposed to have lost. Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2017. <sighs> yet we've already had this debate and the fascists were supposed to have lost. <laughs> and yet, and yet they're still there. Like Nazis are still there. White supremacists are still there. Abusive dudes are still, still there, there. <laughs> welcome to our most depressing episode <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> i know we've had you know a couple but yeah wow. yeah it's like yeah the title of this was a domestic violence subtitle nothing has gotten better <laughs> it gets better it's, it doesn't, doesn't though it, doesn't, like, it, it doesn't. doesn't all of that stuff still happening check your twitter timeline oh god in fact Actually, just go to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Because your Uncle Teddy, he's still doing this. Mm-hmm. All right. He's still your doing Uncle this Teddy. same foolishness. It hasn't changed. <laughs> Say true. something to him about yes. it. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So moving on to our last uh, example. I think it's our last example in, uh, in uh, which one are we in? Are You My Mommy? Mm-hmm. Which is um, the Christmas Carol. Yes. With our... <laughs> with our... Uh, what is his name? What his, his name is Kazran. His name is Kazran. Who I called Karnak yes. earlier for some reason. And we realized it well, Toya, you realized that it was because he plays He's Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> so the magic plus that weird K name became Karnak, Karnak the magician in my head. Yes. But yes, yeah, so Dumbledore as Kazran. Yes. <laughs> also known as Michael Gambon. <laughs> yes. So Michael Gambon plays um Kazran in this episode and Kazran, another lonely single child, um, we see that he was abused by his father. Who was also played by Michael Gambon. Also played by <laughs> right. Michael Gambon. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole episode is kind of about Kazran fighting to not become his father. Right. Right? Because his father is the one who was horribly abusive to him in his childhood. Um, and the doctor says right at the beginning of the episode, you still have a shot 
to not become your father. And the way I know that is that you didn't actually hit this kid. Right. So there's a kid there that he pulls his hand back as if he's going to backhand the child and he stops himself. Right. Um, and we see throughout the episode that his father did not stop himself. His father was physically abusive to him. Um, and so that glimmer of hope is that he has not become physically abusive to right. children. And in that moment, I think that he sort of made the connection between him mm-hmm. and his father and stopped himself. Yeah. But um, this, this sort of gets into that, that trope or however you want to describe it of how, abuse house child abuse and abuse perpetuates yes how it perpet like the the abused often becomes the abuser yes which is not often i mean i i i don't know how often it's true across the board i know that with my personal experience it's proved to not be true yeah or at least because we're fighting so much to not be like our abusers yeah that we that you go in the other direction yeah, absolutely yeah. so it's it's sort of interesting because um this is an episode where you sort of have to think about like where what is the role of the doctor here you know mm-hmm. like we see him intervening yes. in this child's you know life um and we see him literally show up at Kazran's window when mm-hmm. he's like 10 years old Right after his father's hit him. Yes. So we know that his role in this episode is to intervene, but what has he actually done? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's interesting because this is the episode where, you know, we've talked about what's happening on the ground. What's happening in the air is that the ship that all of them are on, some sort mm-hmm. of you know, space cruise ship, which yes. I want to go on someday. I seriously, my goal in life is to be on a, spe- a space cruise ship, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think for now. <laughs> I keep watching the movies that make me go, maybe it's not, but I still want a chance to be in space yeah. somehow. But anyways, so uh Amy and Rory are on that ship. Mm-hmm. That ship has like some like tons of people on it and mm-hmm. it is crashing. Yes. And so it is crashing right over the I guess planet that Kazran yes. owns. Yes, I guess so. I guess. But like whatever it is, um, Kazran is someone that could intervene to stop this cruise ship from yes. crashing and killing all these people. Um, I guess he, I think back to that episode and I'm like, did that really happen? He controls the clouds and the sharks. Is that what? Th- that episode, I have to say, was so hard for me to follow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could not figure out what in the world is literally going on. I focused on the story of Kazran and the woman, the blonde woman whose name escapes me right now, who he's in love with. Yeah. Um, who sings to the fish. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and the subplot of the fact that Amy and Rory are into kinky costume sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> those are the things yeah. that stuck out Stay to me. Stay tuned for our yeah, sex our episode. Sex episode it's, because it's that's going to come up again. <laughs> that, uh, obviously Amy puts on her little police kissogram outfit and Rory runs around as a centurion. Put a pin in that. <laughs> We'll come back to that in the future. That would make a very good February episode. Oh, yes. The Valentine's Day episode, Sex on the TARDIS. Put it on your calendars. There you go. February, All right. Sex on the TARDIS. So, so we don't know exactly what's going on here, 
we haven't figured it out but i think that's the whole point of dr right Who. like yeah you just have to we right. suspend disbelief right. we don't know what the hell is going yeah. on we don't really care we know the doctor is coming fixed something yeah so um, we know yes yeah. <laughs> even with all the he sharks and singing and crashing cruise ships we know that the doctor has identified kazran as the one person that could save yes. everyone um so that's interesting because you have a lonely, abused mm-hmm. child yes. who, um, you know, could use a lot, right? Could use a lot of help, could use a lot of caring, could use a lot of happiness. Mm-hmm. And we see the doctor come in and we go, okay, cool. The doctor's going to save him. But no, the doctor wants to change him yeah. to make him as an adult, make Kazran as an adult, save, save his friends. Other people. Yep. Yeah. So this is, this isn't, I guess we could say, we could say that the doctor saves Kazran by making him the kind of person who would save other people. Mm-hmm. But does he actually remove him from the situation where he's being abused? Right. Um, we know that the doctor writes, writes new memories for him. Um, which kind of feels, mentally abusive actually like that's really weird and messed up that he's coming in and literally rewriting this man's life that's creepy to me um yeah so it it actually feels like the doctor isn't worried about saving anybody but amy and rory through this episode although i guess if he saves the ship he saves everybody but it's really about his friends Mm -hmm. um and he uses Mm -hmm the pain and the situation of Kazran to save his friends. He doesn't really save Kazran. He does not save really the blonde woman no. who's in that pod. Right. Um, he gives them both a few good days. Right. Basically. So he goes and he does that every Christmas Eve. We're going to get together and right. have a good time. Yeah. Uh, 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 thing, um, which seems like, the very same storyline as the doctor in river. Right. Um, running oh. off together when she's imprisoned and doing all kinds of adventures oh. and then returning her to her cell. It seems like the exact same kind of thing. Oh, um, except sad. this time it's Kazran and the blonde woman yeah. running off and having adventures and then she has to return to herself. Right. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, no, that makes me a little sad. It, it's very sad. Um, yeah so yeah but i don't know that the doctor actually saves him from the abuse he just makes it so this man does not continue on yeah the abuse right and so there are kind of two cliches at play here Mm. there is the whole um okay well abused children really want an escape you know that's one sort of cliche or trope um the other one it's is the it's better to have loved and lost Lost. than never loved at all okay we definitely know that kazran never loved um prior to him prior to the doctor intervening Mm -hmm. but Essentially, what you've gone and done is added another type of painful memory or mm-hmm. another type of pain yes. to this kid's already existing pain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he under he has both the psychological pain of a, a father that is terrible to him and right. the physical pain of his father beating him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add the extra pain of lost love. <laughs> yes, because it's, it seems as if Kazran, I wanted to call him Karnak. Karnak! Again. It seems as if Kazran becomes this awful person because the woman who he's fallen in love with has 
one day left to live. Right. So you see her little time thing ticking back every time they take her out of her pod. There's one less day in her life. And so he leaves her there um, with kind of one day left on the clock. And then he spends the rest of his life until he becomes an old man um, being horribly abusive to the other people who right. are on this planet uh, and locking them in pods and stuff just as his father did. Right. Uh, so he doesn't become anybody different. He's a, you know, a galactic Scrooge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there is even the whole ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas right. present thing, which is hysterical. Amy as a police and her little police officer yes. outfit is the ghost of Christmas. Present. Right. Um, <laughs> but yes, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have become anybody different until the doctor intervenes. And even then it's only to save his friends. Um, and so how long had he been living with, even if the physical pain is gone, he'd been living with the psychological pain of all of that. And the idea that I've only loved once in my life right. and, this is it. And this woman is going to die if I ever, if I'm ever with her again. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where when you think about an actual loving relationship Mm. there, there's ups and downs, right? Right. And so when it comes down to it, all he got to see was the ups. So of course he was going to be hung up on her because he only got to see the ups. Right. You know, and like, of course we still love even with the downs. That's the whole point of love. Right. But yeah, so he had essentially like the, the utmost highs Mm -hmm. of the love. And so, yeah, so essentially what the doctor did for him was set an unattainable goal. Yes, and an unrealistic <laughs> idea of right. what love is, right. which is basically possession. Yeah. Um and a life free of any kind of conflict because it's only the fun, the most fun thing on the most fun day of the year. Yes. And you get to go off and party and gallivant together <laughs> with a being who can take you throughout all of time and space. Right. That's totally not what love ever is, Mm-mm. unfortunately, because that would be super fun. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what love is. Yeah. So he's left with this unreasonable expectation. Um and an unattainable goal of this perfect woman who he thinks is perfect because he only sees her one day a year and the rest of the time she's under glass basically and frozen. She's like sleeping beauty. Yeah. Um, You haven't seen her have a stressful day and take it out on you. Yeah. And she, she's literally on ice. Like that's what they call it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. She's like, she's on ice. And isn't there a whole thing with that? Like, is it the refrigerator? Like you put in? Put, oh yeah. yeah, fridging people. Fridging people. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. Literally. she has been fridged. She's literally on ice this entire time. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird because, um, you know, in in many of these instances, you you want the doctor to step in, right? Mm-hmm. And you want him to help, but I don't think he's helped at all. No, like, and I no. think that often, like in in many of these instances that we're describing today, um. We've just changed the abuser. Mm-hmm. It's gone from the, the, in, like the existing abuser to a different one. And so yeah. with Chloe, it went from her father to this weird manipulative chrysanthemum thing. Yeah. Um, and then here, like, 
it's sad to say this, but the doctor has become his new abuser and yeah, manipulator. Yeah, because he's a puppet master. Yes, he is, exactly. He's manipulating him. Yeah, and manipulation it really is it a is form abuse. of an abuse. It is yeah, abuse. I mean, we don't talk about emotional abuse a lot um, in our society because it's kind of hard to figure out where it is. You mm-hmm. know, like it, you don't show the marks of it, but it's very there and it's very deeply felt. Like I've often compared it to, um, you know, the difference between emotional and physical abuse is, um, you know, the uh, living through something like a bombing that mm-hmm. was just sudden and then living through a war zone um, where you're just sort of looking around every corner to say, okay, who's going to kill me today? Yeah. You know? And so I think that um, very often the emo- emotional abuse can stick around much longer mm-hmm. than, I mean, it, it might or might not. It really depends. Of course, every person is different, but the emotional abuse of having that like um, that sort of slow buzz, that like low tone buzz throughout an entire life mm-hmm. versus like having the sudden spikes of the person, you know, hitting you. Like yeah. it's just, it's really interesting because you just, you don't show the marks of it. And so we don't talk about it. We don't identify it. And very often it's always there. Like, under the surface Mm -hmm. and so yeah he's he's sort of switched out the emotional the the physical abuse for the emotional manipulation yeah via the doctor yep yep but you know the doctors are heroes yeah they're supposed to see him as the manipulator but i think at one point kazran even says this is all your fault right like if you hadn't introduced me to this woman and you know made me in love with her and so forth and so on i would never have become this person right you know, this is kind of your fault so right and it totally goes into um the doctors uh, like matt smith's doctor's mm. age yes. or like psychological development because yeah. he is like as we keep saying he's a large child yeah and if a large child was to go into this situation and decide to fix it this is pretty this much is what, what he, he would, would do, do. <laughs> yeah yeah this is what he would do all right so our final segment where we talk we actually do delve into sex and sexuality which is known as alonzi alonzo <laughs> so uh Let's talk about the master, right? Okay. So there is an episode where we see that the master has now gotten married and he's married to a human woman named Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. So at some point, um, we see Lucy with visible injuries, yes. right? From that we assume have been in, affl- inflicted, inflicted, not afflicted. <laughs> Lucy herself is afflicted from, from bruises that have been inflicted. inflicted by the master right but she is still shown as being attracted Mm -hmm. to him having a sexual attraction to him and he is her husband right so what are we saying there and i would say that number one it can be a very realistic portrayal Mm -hmm. because here's the thing people often will say things like well why didn't you just leave Right. When we talk about somebody having been abused by their domestic partner, why didn't you just leave? It's never that easy. Number one, because you're most likely to be killed after you've tried to leave. Mm -hmm. Right. But also because there are actual feelings for that person and feelings don't necessarily cut off because you've been physically abused. And so it seems to me as if they're saying there has been a long history throughout their relationship of physical abuse from the master towards his wife with her continuing to 
be attached to him, to love him, to be attracted to him. Um, yeah. So that is both realistic and horrible. It's a horrible thing to see that she continues to be connected to him and want him even when he's harming her. Right. And we do see, um, you know, her feelings, obviously her feeling towards him, feelings, just one feeling. That's all we get. Just uh, that one, just one feeling. feeling. Her feelings towards him change yes. throughout her time on the show. Yes. The very first time we see her, um, it's, uh, what is that episode called? The, not the last of the Time Lords, whatever it is. The one where Harold Saxon becomes yes. the king of the world yes. universe. Um, so we see her delight in his, um, his absolute terrifying his, his lack power. of humanity yes. <laughs> like his, his we, power his power we'll just say his power mm-hmm. and so you know we do see in that first episode her just sort of like gleefully looking on as those toclophane or whatever they're called destroy the entire world yeah. at her husband's behest mm-hmm. and um the next time we see her is a very different person. We don't see her crack a smile at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her, um, and it, it's, it's very interesting too how they dress her because she's dressed very much like a politician's wife yes. in the very first episode that we see her. And then the next episode where, you know, an entire year has gone by. It's literally been a year. Um, and she is dressed in like a bright red mm-hmm. spaghetti strap mm-hmm. dress. Um, her hair is down. Yeah, instead much of more up. sexual much more sexualized and she has visible bruises all over her. Yes. Um, so we are, uh, we're seeing like a textbook case of, you know, domestic abuse. Yes. And so, um, but we do see her and, you know, this actress, she does a great job in yeah. this role. Um, because she, we see her go from that sort of childish glee of like, Oh, look, my husband's so powerful to I am dead inside now. Yes. I have beaten, been beaten so much that I am just, I have nothing. I'm shut off. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, we do see her respond when he kisses her. And that's mm-hmm. why one of the reasons why we as viewers think, okay, well, she still kind of has feelings for him, mm-hmm. which is why when she spoiler alert, I guess, even though it's been like 10 years. Yeah. So not really a spoiler anymore. Go ahead and watch the Go episode. Ahead and watch it. Um, so when she kills him, yeah. you know, it's supposed to be shocking because you go, okay, well, she's been abused, but she still loves him. You yes. know? And it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, like that dead eyed stare after she shoots him Mm -hmm. and how long she spends clearly long she spends recovering because once we see her again, she is a prisoner. She has been Mm -hmm. imprisoned for killing Harold Saxon, the master. And um, she clearly has recovered by that point because she seems like someone with agency by Mm -hmm. that, by then. Um, And so we see her, um, you know, be brought out by some, sisterhood of wanting the master to be back <laughs> i don't know some weird ladies mm. with like nah. uh, so yeah we see her um be taken by them and um used to revive the master mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because i think even the first time i watched it um my first thought was well, you know, she, at this point, like, she killed him. We know she doesn't like him. Right. You know, like, that's a very childish view on it. But, and so that's clearly, and so she knows, she hates him, um, and she knows that he's a monster. Yes. But then, 
when you start thinking about it, you realize that they're literally trying to bring back her abuser. Yes. That she was one of the lucky women that they're got away. Her to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was one of the lucky ones that yep. got away and was able to recover and was able to find herself again, mm. even in prison. Right. Because prison was better than being with the master at that right. point. Um, and so we see her, um, you know, having recovered, being used to bring back her abuser and literally sacrifice herself yes. to to prevent him from coming back. It's very weird to me to see this in our show. Mm-hmm. Our show. Our, our show. show. Our show. We own it. We own it. <laughs> it. It's really weird for me to see it there because um it's so easy to miss. Yeah. It's so easy to miss like, oh, we we all we all know that the master is a monster. So of course she doesn't want to bring him back. But personally, like what happens? What happens to domestic abuse survivors mm-hmm. if someone's trying to get their abuser back in their life yeah. and they've already moved on, they've already recovered? Like there's a deeper core that's far more disturbing yes. than, oh, the the biggest monster that's ever existed is back. No, this woman's abuser, yeah, her personal, personal abuser yeah. is back. And it makes me very uncomfortable to see some a, a woman's like – journey and recovery through sexual violence through domestic mm-hmm. violence being mm-hmm. used as a plot point like yeah it's it's just way too triggering for me at yeah. least uh, to just sort of see um how easily it is to shift it into something very abstract mm-hmm. when it's something very very personal and very very personally upsetting for yeah. a character yeah and and we've actually seen that happen before when when um in the the episode with the wire at the end of it, after they've gotten the dad out of the house and the the wife has taken her power back, she has said, this has never been your house. This is my mother's house mm-hmm. and I want you out of here. And you see the dad walking down the street with his suitcase. Rose says to the son, go after him. And the son says, why? He deserved this. We mm-hmm. want him out of here. He's a jerk. And she says, oh, but he's your dad. And if you're strong enough to save the world, you can save him. Go after Mm-mm. him. So there's another instance of bringing one's actual abuser back into the into their life and being told that they're the ones who have to save him. Right. So this is a father who's been horribly abusive, both to the wife and to the child. And somehow it has become the responsibility of the child to save him no. after they finally gotten shot of him. Shut shut of him (laughs) they should have shot him (laughs) after they finally gotten him out of the house let's just say that right so after they finally gotten him out of the house the thing that rose tells him is go save the person who has brutalized you and your mother um and it now becomes his responsibility to somehow better this man who's been a monster Mm -hmm. to him right um, and that bothered me so badly. Why the hell would you tell the victim mm-hmm. to go save the soul mm-hmm. of the person who's been abusing right. them? Give me an entire, are you serious? <laughs> Rose has always been my least favorite companion, you guys. And every time I rewatch, I find another reason why yes. she's my least favorite companion. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we see that with Lucy too, because it's so easy, especially because the master does come back mm-hmm. to overlook the fact that there was a woman that was so, so brave. Yes. And so willing to try to, to save, uh, to try to, 
prevent him from coming back. Yes. That she sacrificed, she sacrificed herself. herself. Yeah. Nobody mentions it. I yeah. mean, of course, everyone that would have been there that saw her sacrifice herself would have been dead. Right. Um, but when it comes down to it, like the show needed to have something in there for that because it's, it's not an easy path yeah. to recover from domestic violence in any capacity. It's not an easy path to cover, recover from sexual assault. It's not an easy path to recover from sex, uh, from child abuse. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, like we, where the show could have stepped in and said, uh, yeah, so someone gave themselves up. And that's why he's messed up now. And that's yeah. not why he won't be successful. Right. Like it didn't really do that. Like we saw that that was the case mm-hmm. eventually. But when it comes down to it, the show needs to do more than just say here, here, look, here's a, here's a plot. And let's never think about these people as being right. people, you know, right. um, because I, you know, I'm sure that survivors of a d- domestic violence would see it and be like, huh, yeah. at least, you know, I I would. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's too it's unfortunate because, you know, especially around the master, we care a lot more around the mass about the master than anyone else around him. Yes. And that's always the case. And of course the master in and of himself is an abused yes character. Yes. Like he was abused. He was, he abused was essentially turned child. into a uh a weapon yeah, of mass he was made destruction. Into a monster. Yeah, he yeah. was made into a monster. They they you know, they engineered it perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, with these terrible, horrible time lords. Yes. Um they engineered it perfectly to make him into this tortured and um supremely messed up. I was gonna use yes. a different word, uh, terrible person yes you know and so like we see another instance of abuse and all of you know abuse perpetuating essentially Mm -hmm. but when it comes down to it like you know we never it never feels like we get it uh the show actually saying anything about it you know we don't see the show saying okay you know what this is wrong yeah, we don't get any satisfactory resolution no. in any of these no. stories, really. Justice for Lucy. Yeah. I'm serious. Justice for Lucy and yeah. for all the other victims of abuse uh, throughout these episodes. Justice for all of us who have actually uh, endured abuse in our real, not on TV lives. Um, and power to all of us who have made it through. Yes. So I think that's about all that we have for today's episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here we are at another ending and I don't want to go. I don't want to go, but we we have have to. to. Bye. Bye.